I'm recording a new album. I've written about 15 songs for the project, but only about 10 or 12 are going to make the cut. So what's the difference between a song that deserves to be on the record and one that should get left out? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Blueprint Sounds. My name is Nathan Smith. Thanks for joining me. Today we're going to talk about recording an original album and picking and choosing your songs to make the best album you possibly can. Specifically, we're going to contrast two different songs, and I'm going to show you the difference between the almost there song, but that's not going to make the album, and the song that deserves to be on the album. But before we do, I'd like to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free PDF, 25 chart-topping arrangement tricks that work. If you're a worship team or a worship leader and you have a song that's all right, but you want to take it up a notch, download this PDF and it gives you 25 great ideas about how you can make your song more interesting and keep people's interest throughout the song. You get two or three sentences about why that trick works and how to use it, and then you get a song from the radio that exemplifies the trick so that you can hear it in action. Again, go to blueprintsounds.com to get access, and without any further ado, let's talk about songs that should be on your album and songs that shouldn't be on your album. So I'm going to play the verse and chorus of two of my songs. One is called He Lives, and that song is not going to make it to the album. And another song is called When I Come to Your House, and that will make it to the album. So we're going to talk about the differences and why I picked one and not the other. But first, let's listen to the verse and chorus of He Lives. Alright, now let's listen to the verse and chorus of When I Come to Your House. Why do the wicked seem so fed and carefree? They sleep all day and plot their schemes at night. When I considered this, I was despairing. When I stepped in your court, I saw the light. When I come to your house, when I come to your house, I hear the angels sing. Every tear is wiped away in glorious array. I rejoice when I come to your house. So before I jump into the minutia of why one works and why one doesn't, you can kind of feel that one has it and one 
doesn't have it. You know, they're close, but there are some differences. So the first problem with He Lives is that the melody is simply too jumpy. I remember when I was writing the melody for the verse that I was kind of enthralled with the chord progression and the beat and the, the syncopation that I had in my head for what the melody should be. And it, it made the melody too jumpy. It was too high and low and high and low and high and low. And it took me a while to, to practice it enough to sing it. Well, the problem is that it wasn't singable for my audience. And so I found that when I would play it for my church, that invariably I would only hear myself during the verse. You know, I would sing, everybody would listen, they would try and join in on the chorus, but really it was too jumpy of a melody to be useful. And I don't want my songs to simply be songs that people watch or that they admire. I want them to participate in them. I found that people did participate and participated almost immediately on When I Come to Your House. So that was a big red flag for me on He Lives that maybe my song wasn't that singable, even though there were things that I liked about it. It's not about the musician. It's not about the songwriter liking his song. I mean, to some extent, I have to like it enough to play it for people. But the proof is whether or not people embrace the song. The second problem with He Lives is that it's just too wordy. So let me recite this first verse to you, and I'll show you what the problem is. When our Savior bled and died for all our debts unpaid, God the Father raised him high above all other names. That's one sentence. One long run-on sentence. That's bad enough in writing where you could go back and reread something and struggle with the meaning of a text. That's awful in song. Because songs are coming at you in time. You get one chance to get people in their heart. You can't waste all that time having them think about it. It's sort of like driving down the road and seeing a highway sign. You know, it needs to be clear. It needs to be short. You need to get to the point quickly because people are coming past it at speed. Well, it's like that with a song. I was asking my listener to listen to the first part of it and hold all of that in their brain as I sang the rest of it. And then it was their job to put all of that together and figure out what I was meaning. Way too much. Way too much work. Not a good idea. Contrast that with the first verse of When I Come to Your House. Why do the wicked seem so fed and carefree? They sleep all day and plot their schemes at night. When I considered this, I was despairing. When I stepped in your courts, I saw the light. Four sentences, right? We took our thoughts and we broke them down and made them manageable so that people could actually understand them in real time. That's why lyrically, when I Come to Your House is a better song than He Lives. I see songwriters make this mistake. It's sort of reactionary. They, they look at simplistic songs that they see that they think are, are theologically lax or they're not, they're not full of meaning. So they say, okay, I'm going to just pack as many words as I can into this song to make it really mean something. But the, the point is to give something to your audience that they can digest easily. So the simple solution is often the better solution, especially when it comes to your lyric. Now that's simple, not simplistic. There are simplistic songs that are just, they just don't have anything. They're just fluff. That's not what we're talking about. What you want is a meaty lyric, but that's simple and that can be understood at the speed of music. My second song does that, my first song didn't, so it's not going to go on the album. And the third reason, really practical, 
is that He Lives is just too high. When I sing it, I get tired and I'm a musician. I, I wrote it, I practice it, I do it all the time. I can't imagine how hard it would be for somebody who's not a trained musician. So that melody, as cool as I might think it is for different reasons, it's syncopation or it's jumps or whatever, is on two counts, it's not singable. Whereas the second song is more singable because it's in a register that people can get with a lot easier. So let's recap. He Lives was too jumpy, it was too wordy, too many run-on sentences, and it was too high, and therefore, for all of those reasons, it, it just fell flat, even though it should have been exciting because it's an up song, just like When I Come to Your House is. Those are all the behind-the-scenes kind of minutiae that you figure out later, but there's a really easy way to tell that a song is working or not working. When you play it for an audience, especially, you know, several times, it starts to show whether it's working or not. When I played this for my home church, when I played He Lives, they were very kind. They listened a lot during the first verse, you know, the first verse, and they tried to get with the chorus, but it never really, they never really took it from me and sang it for me. Whereas with When I Come to Your House, they participated nearly immediately. By the second week, they had it, and they wanted to sing it, and they wanted to sing it again. So, take all of the behind-the-scenes stuff away, you know, too wordy, too jumpy, the melodic stuff that I think about as a songwriter. They knew that instinctively and could tell that, oh, here's a song that we can actually sing. So that is your litmus test. That is your great standard for knowing whether your song works or whether it doesn't, is whether or not people embrace it. Now, songwriters, if that happens to you, if there is a song that isn't embraced by people, don't try and justify yourself and don't get discouraged. Don't say, well, the artist just is underappreciated in his own time. You have to be honest with yourself. Now that you've presented this song to the public, and whoever the public is, that's your public, you have to be honest and and let it go. It's not your baby anymore. It has to stand on its own two feet. If it can't, well, you need to get better at your craft. But don't get discouraged, because you do this again and again and again. After you write more songs, they hurt a little bit less each time when, when you fail, because you will fail. But on the other side of that is you might write something truly great. And that is a wonderful feeling. So keep it up and don't lose heart. Hey, I hope that episode helps you and I'm really looking forward to taking you on the journey of this album. Again, if you want arrangement help, go to my website blueprintsounds.com and get access to 25 chart-topping arrangement tricks that work. Until next week, God bless and goodbye.